This is the Relic Radio Show, old-time radio entertainment still standing the test of time from RelicRadio.com. Welcome back to the Relic Radio Show. This week's hour of radio drama begins with Pete Kelly's blues. We'll hear the Vita Brand story from July 11th, 1951. After that, it's the Zero Hour and Come Light My Fire. That story aired June 19th, 1974. This one's about Pete Kelly. It's about the world he goes around in. It's about the big music and the big trouble and the big 20s. So when they ask you, Tell them this one's about the blues. Pete Kelly's Blues. Pete Kelly's Blues. Starring Jack Webb. With story by Joe Eisinger and music by Dick Kelly. Find us at 417 Cherry Street, Kansas City. It's a standard speakeasy. Before Prohibition, the building housed the cleaning and dying plant. It hasn't changed much. The vats came in handy. It's still tough to get a clear gin, but a lady likes the idea of a drink to match the color of her dress. The lease is owned by George Lupo, who's a fat, friendly little guy who wouldn't harm a fly. There's no money in harming flies. We start every night about ten and play till the customers get that first frightening look at each other in the early light. Lupo's working on a scheme to push the dawn back for at least one more hour. I don't think he'll make it, but I wouldn't want to risk a buck against him. The last night everything was routine until I saw her again. We were just winding up the third set when she came in, flanked with the same deadpan gunsel. She sat alone at the same table, ordered the same drinks, smoked the same Egyptian deities, gave me that same loving look. The gunsel, as usual, nibbled at his drink at the bar and his eyes playing watchdog for the girl. This was the fifth night, four nights running, same girl, same gunsel, same routine. Sit for five solid hours, drink, smoke, and work me over with her eyes, reach down deep for a sigh, and leave with deadpan right behind her. Well, I didn't like it. I was beginning to taste salt on my tongue. We went into a finish. The girl looked once at the gunsel, he nodded, left the bar, and started to the stand. Nick, can you push it a little? It helps when we can hear the beat. All right, don't audition for me. Just do it, huh? Pete. Yeah, Red. That babe's here again. I know, I know. All right, what do we got up next? Working up ahead of steam, Pete. Well, she's beginning to make me feel like a wayside shrine. You. Who? You. Me? Yeah. Oh, you got a request? A number you'd like no, to... No, I got no request, but the lady, she's got a request. The lady? What's the matter? You don't see the lady? How come you don't see the lady when she's looking right at you? Oh. That lady, yeah, sure, I see the lady. Why do you make like you don't see the lady when all the time you know the lady's looking right at you? Look, friend, I'm only a poor underpaid employee in this trap. Now, my contract says I'm to play music to please the patrons. I'd be very happy to do anything the lady likes to please the lady. So, all right. So what does she want me to do? So she wants you to have a drink with her. Sure, that'd be an honor. But I'm afraid that Mr. Lupo, he's my boss, you know. George Lupo, the proprietor, he doesn't like his employees to mingle I with I will you. talk to Lupo, he'll like it. Yeah, you could probably make him love it. Come on. I'll be right back, Red. Use some nickels. Right, Petey. Peter, this is Mr. Kelly. Mr. Kelly, this is Vita Brand. Sit down, Mr. Kelly. Yeah, thanks. All right now, Vita. You happy? I'm getting happier by the minute. Sure, you, you want me to go back to the bar? Sit here, it's more friendly. Hello, Pete. Hello, Miss Brand. Vita. Vita. You like my name? Sure, sure, it's beautiful. Vita. I only just got it last week. I'll take a little time to break it in. Let me hear you say it. Vita. Yeah. I like the way you say it. 
like you mean it. Yeah, I do. I never meant anything more in my life. That's because you're sincere. I knew you were sincere the first time I looked at you. Remember the first night I came in? Sat here and looked at you. Yeah, well, I'm pretty busy up there, you know. Ain't got to wink since that night. Well, maybe if you go home and put your mind to it, huh? No use, Pete. I tried. Nothing's any good. Nothing I can do is going to change it. Change what? The way I feel. Sick? Yeah. With what? With love. Oh, poor Rita. Yeah, well, beautiful girl like you, no trouble finding another man. I don't want another man. You don't want another man. I want you. That's what Vita wants, you. I love you, Pete. Yeah, sure. Well, that's the way it ought to be. Everybody love everybody else. It's a better world. Well, I got a number to do on. Are you shut up? A lady is trying to tell you how much she loves you, so pay attention. Yeah. First time I saw you, Pete, hit me like a dum dum bullet. Well, excuse me. I have to earn a buck. Frame it. It's the last one you'll have to earn. All right. Let's do one. What do you got up? Till we meet again. All right. Petey. Yeah, Red. That babe, I got the rumble on her from Lupo. Yeah. Ever hear of a citizen named Bacalides? The three for boys, three killings for the price of two. All right, Red. Funnel it down, huh? She belongs to Bacalides. Loser, Petey. Loser. And you told me what? Now tell me how. Well, let's try one. Let's do it till we meet again. All right, we'll make a slow intro out of the last eight. We'll go back to the top, Nick. You take the first four going in. Everybody got it? Guilty. All right. Let's try it. Come on, let's all play it, huh? All right, once more. Nervous, Petey? No, I'm not nervous. Now, come on, everybody, once more. Gunsel's heading this way again. Yeah, I know. What do we got up next? Blue, sweet little you and his addiction one star. All right. Now, look, friend, I got a job You're to do. You're it. Let's go. Where? <laughs> now, you listen, Buster. This ain't a lollipop poking you in the gut. I could drop you and be out of here before you hit the floor. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> Outside. The Hispano out in front probably wasn't as long as it looked. We've got fairly short blocks in this part of town. Vita took the wheel. She banked low around the corner, pulled out of a half immelman, gained a little altitude, and flew blind for downtown Kansas City. Vita glanced at me from the corners of charged eyes. It just glanced at me. I leaned my head back and closed my eyes. 
The Hispano whipped down Main Street, lost altitude as we gained the deserted financial district, made a perfect no-point landing at the side entrance of the Grundy Bank and Savings. But we went into the bank through the family entrance. One light was burning, and it hung low over the biggest dice table I ever saw in any bank. The stick man was busier than a flea on a fat lady. He called the plays and called the points, and not one of the 50 torpedoes glanced at us as we climbed a short flight to an upstairs office. Two men were in the room. One, a shadow dressed in dark clothes, looked through a small window onto the dice game down below. The Tommy gun rested easy across his knees. The other man sat behind a desk no bigger than the loading platform at Union Station. He was counting money. Neat, orderly piles of bills were stacked around him like a well-trimmed hedge. We waited while he finished thumbing a book of fifties. He just held him up to his ear, fanned him once, made a note on a pad by his elbow. Finally, he turned his swivel chair to face us. It was all chin and jaw. He leaned back, made a church steeple with his fingers, drew me a credit manager's smile, and rocked his chair gently to and fro. Well, come in, Mr. Kelly. Sit down. You're among friends. Yeah, thanks. Pete, permit me to introduce you to this here gentleman here who's very fond of you. Sure, everybody loves me tonight. Oh, he doesn't love you. Only I love you. He's merely very fond of you. I am Bacalides. Yeah. <laughs> he's confused. Ain't he cute? Ain't he cute when he's confused? What confusion? How much time do you have? I'm at your disposal. Oh, uh, look, it runs something like this, Mr. Bacalides. I play cornet, see? At 417, I mind my own business. I try not to poke a thumb in anybody's eye. Well, I noticed this young lady here sitting out front, and tonight she asked me to have a drink with her. Well, naturally, I'm flattered. Yes, you... yes, I know all this, but what is your confusion? Well, it seems that this young lady here has a, well, some kind of an idea that she sort of likes me and... Loves you, Mr. Kelly. Yeah, well, loves me like you say. Well, I don't figure myself for no Rudolph Valentino, so I get an idea that it's a rib, you know, and especially since I know how, well, how she, how both of you... Not both. One. Me, I love Vita very much. Oh, darling, you're sweet. Yeah, that's right, for a fact. And when Vita thinks it over, I'm sure she's There's nothing more to think over, Mr. Kelly. Vita has stopped loving me, all right? I face it. It makes me very unhappy, but I face it. Now she loves you. She wants you. I know how unhappy this can make her. I do not like for Vita to be unhappy, so Vita and me, we talk it over. We decide you will marry Vita. Thank you, darling, you're sweet. There's nothing, Vita. You know how I will do anything to make you happy, anything. All right, now how about doing something to make me a little happy, huh? But I give you Vida. Yeah, well, I pass. You refuse? Oh, Pete, you don't mean that. You've made Vida cry. I do not like to see Vida <laughs> cry. Tell her you do not mean that. Goodbye, friend. I got a number to do at 417, and it ain't here comes the bride. <laughs> yeah. Pick him up. On your feet. You will ask Vida to be your wife. What's the next best offer? Pete, <laughs> don't hurt him. I won't. <laughs> All right, Itch. I think Mr. Kelly wants to say something. Yeah. Kelly. Huh? Who am I? Huh? You hear me? Yeah, I hear you. Whiskey. Right. Put him in that chair. Come on, boy. Hold his head back. Yeah. All right, he's fine now. Yeah. All I need is a few kind words. I will give them to you. Just repeat after me. Vida, I love you. Vida, I love you. Vida. Vida, I love you. Oh, Pete. Will you marry me? Will you? Marry me. Oh, darling, of course I will. Congratulations. We drink to this. To the happy bride and groom. Long life. Long life. Long life. Yeah. Now, here's how. Tomorrow afternoon, you and Vita will marry in City Hall. Itch will be best man. Then you go on a nice long honeymoon, drive to Canada in my Hispano, which I give Vita for a wedding present. Look, I got a job here in town, 417 Cherry. Go back to that crib. Tell the boss you quit. Tear up your cornet. I'm loaded, Pete. Loaded. All right. Here's a pound of fifties. Tomorrow morning, you buy some clean clothes, top to bottom, inside and out. You will meet Vita at City Hall, 2 o'clock. Here's a key to the Hispano. Take it. Now kiss Vita goodnight. Yeah. Good night, Angel. I'll be the happiest bride in the world. Sure. And you'll be the happiest bridegroom. Yeah, or the saddest step. Well, I left the office inside the spin of a top. The Hispano stood by the curb, sleek and calm, just like nothing had happened. Nothing at all. Well, I pointed for the 12th Street Bridge, made the other side of the river, and set a course down Boulder Road for Fat Annie's place. Oh, I tried to imagine life with Vita Brand, and then I thought of six painless ways of committing suicide. I began to feel better. Fat Annie's place was doing a fair business for the law hours. Maggie Jackson was standing back for the piano. I groped my way to the bar, ordered a bromo and ammonia, and listened. All right, for the wealthy gentleman from Detroit. He needs me. All right, Ray. He needs 
What's for? Let's get back here. I want you to be the first to know. In here. Pete, who left you over? You ever hear of a nail named Vita Brand? Vita? Why, she don't weigh hardly enough to beat the white of an egg. What do you know about her, Maggie? Nothing much for sure. Only she's back a lady's package, and that makes her a package nobody tampers with. Nobody. Yeah, nobody but me. Not if you love life, you don't. I gotta. Who says? Back a lady says. Petey, you all right? Till tomorrow at 2 o'clock, yeah. What's that? Men's the wedding. Ooh. Mine and Vita Brand. Petey, you've gone simple for sure. You know what Bacalides will do to you? Look, Maggie, I just left Bacalides and Vita. He catch you with her? Look, that way I'm healthy. If he catches me without her, I'm dead in my socks. Petey, you're taking those risks too fast. Slow it down a little. Bacalides, he's just crazy about that woman. Remember Albino Artie? He once looked at Vita like Bacalides didn't buy. That was six or seven weeks ago. You seen Albino Artie for the past six or seven weeks? No, nobody has. Well, hear this. Bacalini's orders me to marry Vita at 2 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. Now square it for me. Why? And Vita, what does she say about that? Oh, that she loves me. She tell that to Bacalini? Right to his platinum teeth. Oh, I'm getting that feeling, Petey, like my grandmother used to get. And what's it tell you? That Vita's preparing herself to be a bride and a widow both in the same day. Yeah. Well, I better move. You do that, Pete. Fast and far. So long, Maggie. I will. And if I were you, I wouldn't stop moving until I heard him speak in foreign languages. Well, marry Vita and I'm a dead bridegroom. Don't marry Vita, I'm a dead bachelor. Well, I decided to try to be a live fugitive. I raced the Hispano back across the river, pulled up sharp in front of 417 Cherry. The brakes never made a sound. Lupo was pounding the cash register with both fists. He threw the usual glare at me as I pushed through to the bandstand. Hold it down, huh? Hold it down. Let's do this one real fine for me. It's my last time around. See? Yeah, Red. You being pushed out? Yeah, it's that or carried out. All right. Let's do singing the blues, huh? Everybody ready? Yeah. All right, here we go. Thank you. 
tried. That'll do. Now, look, boys. I'm not going to be around for a while. A little business I got to take care of. Well, you'll hear from me, so just keep at it right here until... Red? Yeah, Pete? In the alley, huh? Mm-hmm. Look, Red, I'm in a jam. What can I do to help you? Thanks, but nothing. I got to keep moving. Maybe cool off in a couple of weeks. Maybe not. Meantime, try to keep the boys together. Huh? Sure. Well. Well. So long, Red. Take care of yourself. Huh? Need a couple of bucks, Erskine, anything? No, I'm fine. I'll see you. red already. No, it wasn't easy. But there was only one exit. I drove around to the running house, raced up the stairs. All I had to take was a clean shirt, my other suit, and my book of arrangements. I'd hightail it east, just keep rolling till I ran out of road. That was the plan, until I got to my room. She was stretched across my bed, and she looked right at me as I came in. There she was, on my bed, looking right at me, but I was all alone. Now, Vita would never be anybody's widow. She was too dead to say I do. The stocking from her left leg was where no girl's stocking ought to be, knotted tightly around her throat. Well, I tiptoed back to the door as though she was a light sleeper. I closed the door very gently behind me, and then I raced down three flights into the street, into the Hispano, and into high speed. There was no lambing out of this one. You just don't hit the road in the car belonging to the stiff you leave behind. For such violations, the law is strict. Also, back of Well, While I pulled up hard in front of Sour Sammy's joint, this time the brakes cried. Barney Ricketts was sitting at his usual table in his usual state, boiled and loud. Barney's the only ex-bootlegger in the country who went broke in 1922. He says he did that to aggravate a couple of prohibition agents he hated. Well, Barney saw me come in and waved me over to his table. Ah, Pete Kelly. Welcome, Petey, and have a drink. Look, Barney, I'm up to my eyes. Nonsense, Peter. You haven't even opened them yet. Ah, here we are. A drink for you and a drink for me. Now, listen, Barney, I'm in trouble. Petey, I have suddenly become oppressed by the state of the world. Well, it's my own fault, Peter, my own fault. I make it a rule never to look at the public prints. But tonight, well, uh, just listen to these few choice items. Now, look, Barney, right now I'm a moving target for Bacalini's gun. Last night's edition of the Star. Look here, Peter, September 8, 1923. Girl forced to leap from strangers' automobiles. But let us remember, Peter, that the only girls who leap from strangers' automobiles are those who climb into them. And here, uh, look here. All right, Barney. California politicians say they are responsible for President Calvin Coolidge his success. Probably insist, Petey, that it's in honor of their state that he's called Cal. And this, Petey... Barney, look, there's a dead girl in my room. Marx quoted at 28 cents per million. So you see, Petey, even a German millionaire is pushed hard to feel like 30 cents. Now look, Vita Brand, back a lady's girl, she's dead, Barney, in my room. Well, now, that's most careless of you, Petey. If I run, it's the law, Barney. If I stand still, it's back a lady's. How did you get mixed up with Vita Brand and Bacalidi? I don't know. I'm still in last week's fog. She wanted to marry me. Bacalidi said I would or else. Why, Barney? Why if he torched for her? Very simple problem in human relationships, Peter. Tonight, the word got out that Muggsy Brand was sprung. Who's Muggsy Brand? Peter's father. He was sent up last year. Peter's his whole life. He tried to guard her like Lupo guards his cash register. He hates Bacalidi's, and if he learned that he and Peter... Yeah, yeah, now it's coming into focus. Sometimes, Peter, you're dull-witted. Dull-witted, but stupid. So Bacalini and Vita rigged it to disarm her old man. She marries me, takes the heat off Bacalini. Splendid, Vita, splendid. And her old man winds up throwing a knife at me. All I gotta do now is explain Vita's body in my room to Muggsy Brand. Precisely what Bacalini expects you to face. All right. Do the rest of it together for me, will you? Bacalides is married. He could never square himself with Vita. He got in deeper than he wanted to. He couldn't dump her because of Muggsy coming out. So he ties her onto you, gets her up to your room, leaves her dead on your bed. How do I back out of this one, Barney? Do you know where to reach Bacalides? Yeah, at the Grundy Bank. His dice game? Yeah, that's right. All right, go there. See Bacalides, lay it on the line for him. All the way, just like we talked it here. Well, they'll cut me down. You might. How much eggs do I have? Not quite enough to shave with. But maybe just enough to cut my throat, huh? It's your only chance, Pete. You're in the middle of a three-way push. The law, Bacalides, Muggsy Brand. All right, Barney. I'm counting on you on the outside. Don't worry, Petey. I'll be there with bells on. Yeah, make sure they don't toll for me. Well, I went back to the Grundy Bank and savings. I had no trouble getting in. The game was just heating up. 
I stalled around the dark edges of the table for a minute and laid a few bucks on the field. Upstairs, the light was on in the office. The boy with the big piece was still sitting at the window. I could see the head and shoulders of Bacalides. He was still counting money. I started slowly up the stairs, went into the room without knocking. The muscle man swung sharp, pointing the heater at my stomach. Bacalides, fast for a big man, flung out a hand and knocked the gun out of line. Hold it. Next time, knock, or you pick up a lot of weight. Yeah, or a silk stocking around my neck? No, for you, a knife. From the fingers of the best shiv man in the country. Muggsy Brand? Don't try to run, Kelly. He likes a moving target. Just go to him. Tell him his daughter is in your bed, a stocking around her throat. Tell him you don't understand any of it. He will be very sympathetic. Well, that's nice, Mr. Bacalides. You set it up real nice. It's what, huh? Sure. You persuade Vita to buzz it around that I'm number one. Everything fixed for her father's ears. Even get her to help you push her across by going up to my room. Tell a good story, friend. Maybe too good. I'll put that rod down, Bacalides, before you drop it and break your toe. Maxie, take him downstairs. Come back alone. Petey, look out. Get down. Mugsy. Barney, you all right? Shell shock. Mm-hmm. Muggsy Brand? Yes, Pete. I knew where he was. All he heard was Bacalides. Kelly. Yeah, Muggsy. Bacalides. I got him? He was between the gun. Not much left of him. Or his trigger man. Or me. Now listen. My poke. Money. Take it. My kid could burial. Easy, Muggsy. She was only a kid. Maybe if she met a guy like... Yeah. What do you mean, Pete? A guy like who? Who knows, Barney? Who knows? Pete Kelly's Blues, starring Jack Webb, with story by Joe Eisenberg. And music by Dick Cathcart. Scoring by Matty Matlock. The music of Pete Kelly's Big Seven and Maggie Jackson is now available on phonograph records. The proceeding was transcribed. Sterling, you're listening to the Zero Hour. Rest your eyes. Exercise your imagination. Today, Glenn Hall Taylor's offbeat story of people who play with matches and death. Come light my fire. Peter Lucas. In the Mutual Broadcasting System presentation of The Zero Hour. Brought to you by the Ford Motor Company and Lazy Boy Recliners. Also by State Farm Insurance, International Harvester, and Quaker State Motor Oil. This is The Zero Hour on Mutual Radio. This is Hugh Downs with another car buyer's report from Ford. Comparing the total cost of ownership is the only way to be sure you get your money's worth when buying a new car. And Ford says there are three important considerations that make up the total cost of ownership. Purchase price, operating economy, and trade-in value. Don't overlook that last one, trade-in value. I'd like to give you some interesting facts about trade-in that are difficult for the average consumer to come by. Like the fact that based on a national average of NADA wholesale prices, both the 1973 Torino and the 1973 Grand Torino returned more of their original purchase price than their closest sales competition. The facts speak for themselves. A solid, well-made car will generally return more at trade-in. Ford says that's one of the reasons why Torino is the best-selling car in its class. The closer you look... The better we look. At one time, under common law, the willful and malicious burning of another person's house was considered to be a crime as heinous as that of murder, a felony punishable by death. 
Today's story is about both arson and murder. It begins in a modestly impressive home in a respectable middle-class neighborhood where David and Eleanor Scott have resided for the past few years. But the man who has successfully posed as a retired insurance consultant doesn't consult in the manner in which his neighbors might anticipate. Listen. Come in. We're expecting you. Hi, Mr. Scott. Hello, Mr. Porter. Well, I take it this is the gentleman you telephoned about. Yes, it's Mr. Gilpin. Glad to know you, Mr. Gilpin. How do you do? Have a chair, gentlemen. Uh, Mrs. Scott and Mr. Gilpin. Oh, hello. how do you do? Well, let's get down to business. Mr. Porter tells me you have a problem. May I ask what it is? Well, I, uh, I think I'd rather have Mr. Porter explain it. Oh, well, I'd be glad to. Uh... See, Mr. Gilpin owns a tenement house on the other side of town. Well, pretty soon the building will create big losses because it needs new plumbing, wiring throughout, replacement of dry-rotted timbers, and so on. Well, as an insurance consultant, I'm interested in your coverage. Do you have enough insurance to be in the market for a successful fire? Uh, yes, but I hesitate... Oh, for heaven's sake, that's nothing to be ashamed of. <laughs> yes, see, Mr. Gilpin, I told you these were okay folks. Well, it's nice of you to say that. Uh, do they guarantee results and uh, confidentiality? Oh, Mr. Gilpin, we've been doing this nearly all our lives. And, I might add, we're not pyromaniacs. We merely set a fire... And walk away. You see, with us, it's a profession. Well, that makes me feel a little better about it. I, I'm a respectable businessman, and nothing must go wrong so that I become involved. We protect all our clients. Now, please don't worry. Well, I guess that about sums everything up. I presume Mr. Porter told you about our fee? Yes, it's uh, quite satisfactory. Good. Uh, we appreciate your business, Mr. Gilpin. Yes, miss. Uh, may I help you? I think so. Are you the arson investigator, Mr. Atherton? Yes. I heard on the radio that you were in charge of investigating that tenement fire on the north side of town. You know something about it? Well, I'm not sure, but I think so. See, I lived in an apartment in that building, shared it with a girlfriend. We lost everything. Were you in the building at the time of the fire? No, sir. I was at work. But yesterday afternoon, I was leaving for the factory, and I noticed something that I thought I should report to you. What was that? Well, there were two old people, a man and a woman down in the lower hall. I'd never seen either of them before. Were they acting suspicious? I didn't think so at the time, but later I began to wonder about what they were doing. What were they doing? Well, she was on her knees under the staircase. I stopped to see what was wrong, and she told me she'd lost her key. Now, just as I asked if I could help her look for it, she said she'd found it. So I left. Anything else? Yeah, as I went out the front door, I noticed a car parked at the curb. A man was sitting at the wheel and the motor was running. That could be a coincidence. I know. But when I got to the corner where I wait for my bus, I happened to look back and saw the old couple getting into the car. And it took off kind of fast. About what time was that? Three. Almost exactly. So I worked the four to midnight shift at the factory. And I leave the house every day at three. That was another reason I thought maybe it tied in. The radio report said that the fire broke out a little after three. Right. Can you describe the people you saw yesterday? I didn't get a good look at the old couple. It was pretty dark in that hall. How about the driver of the car? I got a pretty good look at him. Do you know who owned the apartment? I heard his name was Gilpin, but we always paid our rent to Mr. Brown, the manager. And he and his wife lived in the building, too. I don't know where they've gone since the fire. Anything else you think would be of help? Mm, afraid not. Well, thank you for contacting me. Your concern is very much appreciated. Now then, uh, let me fill in this report on the description of that driver, and I'll let you go. Okay, uh, your name, please. This will be kept confidential. Carol Kent. Two R's and two L's in Carol. And believe me, Miss Kent, we'll investigate this thoroughly. Arson, Investigator Atherton. Oh, sure, Chief. Yeah, I showed that Carol Kent the mugshots I got from police headquarters, and she made a positive identification of a guy named Porter. He's the guy she saw sitting in the car. Yeah. As a matter of fact, he's been mixed up in half a dozen arson cases. I sent word out to have him picked up. 
Yeah, meantime, I uh, dropped by that guy Gilpin's office and laid Miss Kent's story right on him. <laughs> he was scared, I can tell you. And I tipped off the insurance company. Okay, Chief. Right. I'll stay on it. Talk to you later. Well, come right in, Mr. Gilpin. Thank you. David. It's Mr. Gilpin, Ellie. Oh, what a pleasant surprise. Uh, no, Mrs. Scott, I'm afraid it's not pleasant. An investigator from the arson squad called on me. Are they suspicious? Oh, plenty. I don't understand. The fire we set under that rickety old staircase wouldn't have left any evidence. And what remained of it couldn't have been separated from the rest of the ashes. No, no, no. It wasn't your technique. Someone saw you. I wonder who it was that nice young lady who offered to help me find the key I told her I'd lost. Well, she didn't identify you two, but she described Porter and they're after him. Oh, now, isn't that provoking? 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 Is that your only reaction? This could be the ruination of all of us if Porter talks. I don't think there's much chance of that, Mr. Gilpin. Once Porter gets wind of it, he'll be out of town before you can wink an eye. Oh, so that's why. That's why... What, Mr. Gilpin? Well, well, it just struck me. I mean, that's probably why I haven't been able to contact him since this morning. When he came to my office and I paid him for the job. Now, just a second, Mr. Gilpin. You paid Mr. Porter? Yes. Our share, too? Well, of course. Oh, that's most distressing. But that was the agreement. But if he skips town, that means he's going to cut out with our share. Oh, well, I'm afraid that's no concern of mine. Oh, we understand that, Mr. Gilpin. Mm -hmm. It's just that this is um, a little unexpected. Uh, Mr. Gilpin, if you'll excuse us, I think we'd better call on Mr. Porter. Well, uh, would it help if I went with you? I don't think so. He has an apartment he uses for a sort of hideaway. And I'm sure he wouldn't appreciate our letting anyone else know about it. Well, I, I hope you settle everything satisfactorily. Oh, we will, Mr. Gilpin. We will. Hi, this is Jim Backus with a special announcement about an exciting Lazy Boy chair sale taking place at your Lazy Boy dealers now. Lazy Boy reclining chairs of your choice are available at unheard of savings for a limited time only. Treat yourself and your family to a lifetime of comfort and beauty. Once you do, you'll wonder how you ever relax without one. Get America's comfort favorite, a Lazy Boy chair now. See your Lazy Boy dealer today. <laughs> Run in there. He'll be glad to see you. Yes, he will. We're number one. We're the largest company, and uh, you don't get to be the largest company unless you're doing a little extra for people. State Farm agent Bill Rich talks about car insurance value. You know that if a consumer feels State Farm is number one, it's got to be on two things, service and price. We only got there because we were as competitive as anyone and because we're there to serve. pay you a call, Mr. Porter. Uh, maybe come in? Well, well, yeah, yeah, yes, of course. Nice little place you've got here. Oh, I see you're packing some luggage. Uh, going somewhere? I told Mr. Gilpin you'd take it on the lamb as soon as you found out. On on what? About the police and the arson investigators looking for you. How do you know about that? Mr. Gilpin told us. 
What did you come here for? Well, we were afraid that uh, in the excitement of trying to get away, you might overlook us. What do you mean? We thought you might forget to pay us. Me? You get paid by Mr. Gilpin. He's told us he's already paid you. Oh, you're nuts. Gilpin's trying to welch on the deal and not pay any of us. Mr. Porter, I do believe you're attempting to be dishonest. Well, look, I'm hot and i got to get out of town. Then give us our money and you can be on your way. Oh, no dice. You old fogies ought to figure you're lucky you weren't spotted in that tenement building yesterday. Getting away with your skin should be enough of a payoff for you. We took the same chance you did. And we expect to be paid for it. What do you want me to do, get picked up? That's what's going to happen if you don't let me get going. And if I do get picked up on the count, if you stall me here, I'll, I'll blow the whistle on you. Oh, my. I had no idea you could be so unpleasant, Mr. Porter. Oh, I'll Porter. get a lot more unpleasant if you two old coots don't get out of my way. Hey, what, hold up. What, what's the gun for? We've been very patient, Mr. Porter, but patience is obviously getting us nowhere. We have now arrived at the moment of truth. Give me that gun you hold in. I'm afraid I've killed him, Ellie. I really didn't want to. Well, uh, now, David, I'll, I'll go through his luggage and you search his pockets. It would be a shame not to get our money after going to all this trouble. Yes, Miss Matthews. Arson Investigator Atherton to see you, Mr. Gilpin. Oh, oh, yes. Uh, have him come in, please. Mr. Gilpin, I'm sorry to bother you again. I have to have another talk with you about the fire that destroyed your property. Well, I, I thought I covered all that with the man from your department who was here in my office this morning. Frankly, I'm not satisfied with the report he brought back from that meeting. Not so. What do you mean? I mean that we are convinced arson was involved. Well, have you spoken to the insurance company? I have. Uh, didn't they tell you they found no evidence of arson? Yes, but I wanted to talk with you anyway. Another element has entered the case. Murder. Murder? The murder of a man named Porter. The man our deputy questioned you about this morning. A man who was seen in the car outside your building? Yeah, yeah but I, I told him I, I, I'd never heard of the man. I don't believe you. We made an extensive investigation of your business operations, Mr. Gilpin. Oh? Yes, it uncovered some very interesting facts. Well, what sort of facts? Facts concerning the dilapidated condition of some of your buildings. Really? The one on 12th Street in particular. I'll sue you. It's very evident you could have profited nicely from a fire which would have rendered the structure 100% unsolved. This is a preposterous accusation. I haven't accused you. Yet. But the only person we had under surveillance who could have linked you to this job was Porter. And he's conveniently dead. You're in a bad spot, Mr. Gilpin. Very bad. There's something going on at your local international dealer. Right now, would you buy the other pickup from international? You get four... Uh, hold it, hold it. What's yeah. this, the other pickup from international? What's that? Well, there are two pickups out there that outsell everybody else. You know who they are. Aha, uh -huh. go ahead. Well, we're the other pickup. The one with the wider track, lower center of gravity. The one with great handling and stability. The other pickup from international. Okay. All right, right now, should I? Go ahead. Until July 20th, you get four Firestone gas-saving steel-belted radial tires when you buy a new international pickup at participating dealer. The other pickup. Right. Ah, go ahead. You get these gas-saving radials at no extra cost on most models, and they're worth $290 suggested retail price. No extra cost? Right. Go, go ahead. ahead. I know. And you get a free tire gauge just for coming in. And correctly inflated tires help you get better mileage. So stop at your local international... Okay. Hold it. No. Are you telling me that all I have to do is stop at my local international dealer and he'll give me a tire gauge free? There's nothing to buy? That's right. I'll buy that. Go ahead. Go ahead. The Veterans Administration helps people in little ways. A veteran, let's say, is trying to get an appointment. He's filed to go to school under the GID. Uh, he's not getting any money, but he's entitled. Well, what's wrong with writing a letter saying that under the law, this man is entitled to receive $220 a month for attending school on a full-time basis? Believe it or not, he can take that letter with the little job, take it to the real estate people, and because he has an additional income of $220, although he isn't receiving it, it makes his chances of getting that apartment much better. And, and this is what I mean about the little thing. 
going beyond the duty every once in a while. Just go a little bit out of your way to help someone. Uh, that's my philosophy. To me, these are little things, but big things to that person. Very, a big thing to that person. At VA, we try a little harder to help. Yes, Chief, we're making some progress. Well, to bring you up to date, I'm convinced Gilpin's guilty. I went to his office and told him that murder had now been added to the crime of arson and that we suspected a tie-in between Gilpin and the dead man. Well, he's obviously worried. I also spent nearly two hours with Carol Kent going through all the mugshots of old people. I struck out completely there. If we can't find that old couple, Gilpin may get away with this thing. I have one wild idea, Chief. It's a thousand to one shot, but it may work. I'll let you know. Thanks. So long. Hello, Sally. Don Atherton. Didn't you tell me a while back that you had a friend with the Civic Repertory Players Theater, a uh, director? Yep, that's the guy. Well, listen. Do me a favor and contact him. Ask him if he knows of an elderly male and female couple who could do a job for us and keep their mouths shut. <laughs> sure, they'll be paid. Well, they won't make the kind of dough Richard and Liz make, but on the other hand, they don't have to be sexy. Just elderly. Good. You get back to me, huh? Thanks, Sally. May I help you? Uh, is Mr. Gilpin in? I'm sorry, he's out at the moment. What was it in regard to? Well, young lady, it's a personal matter. Would you like to leave a message? Well, actually, miss, it's both personal and business. Uh, we rendered him a service, a very confidential service, and uh, I'm sure he'd like to talk with us about it. Would you like to leave your name? Oh, we'd rather not, would we, darling? Oh, no, no, I don't think it's necessary. Uh, just tell him we called and that we're in a little trouble. Uh, he'll know where to contact us. Well, it's a little unusual, but I'll tell him. Well, the service we rendered was a bit unusual, too. <laughs> Believe me, miss, Mr. Gilpin will understand. Uh, thank you. Uh, we'll be on our way. Uh, sorry to have troubled you. Yes, Chief. I'm, I'm in my car across the street from Gilpin's office building. I'm hoping for some action, but I've already been here for an hour. Although he went in, he hasn't come out yet. Uh-oh. Here he comes. He's hailing a cab. He's pulling up now. I'm going to tail him. He's given the driver instructions now. I'll be in touch later. Clear. Come right in. Yes. What can we do for you? First of all, why did you come to the office? That could lead to some pretty sticky business. Secondly, what kind of trouble are you in? Trouble? Yes. You left word with my secretary you were in some kind of trouble. What are you talking about? We've never been near your office, ever. Well, don't try to hand me a snow job. My secretary told me an elderly couple... Excuse me a moment. What's that? I don't know I'm going to see. Oh, Yes? I'd like to see Mr. Gilpin. Athens, please. you followed me here. What is this? It's a trap, that's what it is. I was followed because you were dumb enough to come to my office, you old fool. I told you we never went near your office. And that's the truth. You're both lying. No, Mr. Gilpin, they're telling the truth. I purposely chose a time when I knew you'd be out to send another elderly couple to your office. What? I figured you'd lead me to the people who set fire to your building. You can't get away with entrapment. Maybe by myself, I couldn't. But there are two uniformed men outside. This house is covered. So I suggest you and your friends come along peacefully. You can't make this stick, Athens. I'm a respectable businessman. Don't look now, Mr. Gilpin. But your respectability just went up in smoke. J. 
just when you need it more than ever, you can find it more places than ever. That's Quaker State Motor Oil. Why do you need it more? Because if you're using your car less, that engine just isn't getting the exercise it needs. But Quaker State's quality protection is tailor-made to handle deposits that build up in an underworked engine. Now that you need it more, it's available more places. Nice to know. Quaker State, your car. You keep it running, yeah. Hi, this is Jim Baggins with news about why Lazy Boy is America's comfort favorite. It appeals to men because of rugged construction and he-man comfort. Women love it because there are beautiful styles that match any decor. And there's an amazing choice of hundreds of colors and fabrics. A Lazy Boy lets you recline to any position, even full bed. Put a Lazy Boy in your living room and into your life. See your Lazy Boy dealer today. He's waiting. Run down there. Go. Indeed. I'm Rod Serling. Close your eyes. Exercise your imagination. And join us again on our next presentation of The Zero Hour. Come Light My Fire is an original radio drama adapted by Glenn Hall Taylor. Peter Lupus was heard as Don Atherton. Featured in the cast were Jack Edwards, Paula Winslow, Lou Krugman, Jack Crucian, Catherine Grody, and Ruth Anson. Zero Hour, created by J.M. Colos, directed by Don Hills, is produced in Hollywood for the Mutual Broadcasting System by Radio Productions Incorporated. Music is composed and conducted by Stanley D. Hoffman, Rochelle Sherman, associate producer. This has been a presentation of the Mutual Broadcasting System. That's the Relic Radio Show for this week. There's more from Pete Kelly's Blues, The Zero Hour, The Relic Radio Show, and all the other Relic Radio podcasts at relicradio.com. Our Shoutcast stream is up and running there with even more old-time radio. Lots to listen to there, all for free, thanks to your support. If you'd like to help out, visit donate.relicradio.com or click on one of the links. Thanks to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me this week. I'll be back tomorrow with Case Closed and next Tuesday with another episode of the Relic Radio Show.